welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. Everyone looking forward to the Sloppy Joe Sunday? Just sounds messy, sounds messy. Well, I want to welcome those who join us online as well. Uh, A friend of mine, he has a a saying he likes to use. He says that bad theology makes for a miserable taskmaster. And I think that's such an an accurate way of, of understanding how what we believe matters. What we believe determines how we, how we view life and how we live and how we act. And, <clears throat> and so to have bad theology, to have a misunderstanding of who God is and our relationship and our connection with God has, has drastic impacts or effects on our life. And I think that's probably most apparent when it comes to the topic of understanding the difference between the old covenant and the law versus what we have today under the new covenant in grace. I think it was the biggest issue that Paul faced in his day, uh, that constantly you see it over and over in his writings where he's addressing this topic of law versus grace uh, and not trying to blend the two because that's what was happening. It wasn't an, an issue of, of people were trying to, to think that they could be saved by the law, but they were trying to go back to the law, trying to blend the law and grace. And so he was trying to separate that laying out that foundation over and over again that we're set apart from the law, that we've got something better in Jesus Christ alone. But I think, I think the reason it's such a struggle back then and it continues to be a struggle for you and I today is simply because it plays off of our, probably our, one of our deepest fears. And that deep fear is, am I doing okay? Am I doing enough? Am I measuring up to what's expected of me? And, and we're afraid that, how do I know? How do I know that, that God's pleased with me? How do I know that I'm, I'm, I'm being successful and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And so we, we look for things to measure ourselves, to evaluate ourselves, whether it be the Ten Commandments, whether it be uh, church attendance or, or giving or, or the number of people you shared your faith with this last week or, or just how did you respond when that guy cut you off on the road? <clears throat> Not well. Another story. So... So all this, this is going on here, and, and the thinking is that if I just do well enough, then God will bless me. But if I'm not doing well enough, then that's, God's going to withhold his blessings. And, and so that starts to mess with us, because now we start going through struggles. We start, we start going through difficult times in our lives, and we're thinking, well, maybe, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's sin in my life. Maybe if I only had more faith, maybe if I just did this or if I did that more, then everything would be fine. And, and so we start to evaluate how, how, how is my standing with God? And that's essentially what this whole law thing is, is that somehow your standing with God is determined by your performance, by how well you measure up. What makes it even more complicated is that people will use scripture verses to, to, to base all this off of. Unfortunately, what they don't realize is that these scripture verses are being twisted. They're being twisted to say something that they're not. So I have some friends, and they say, what you need to do is every time you come to the scriptures and you read the scriptures, you need to approach it from a sense of what, look at it through a grace lens. And, and I've never liked that idea, because what that says is that we got to just put a different twist on it. They got one twist, we got our own twist to it. And that's not what we need to do. We need to remove all the lenses. 
We need to take everything off that's actually twisting the scripture and let it speak for itself. And then you discover the grace that's there. And so that's what we want to do. We want to, we want to remove all these lenses, all the, the twists and the, the misunderstandings we've had so that we could see God's grace in his word for us. And I think that's especially important for the topic that we're going to be talking about this morning, which is judgment day. Yeah, it's coming. You guys, you know, RSVP, did you sign up for it? Right? I'm sure it's an Eventbrite. You can go there and register. Good news is you don't have to because you will all, we will all face it one day. It's coming. And so, so how do we understand judgment day? You know, is it something we're terrified of or is it something that we legitimately could be excited about? That's what we want to see this morning. So let's read our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes to the church, he says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Well, let's pray. Father, this morning as we, as we look into your word and we, we see, hopefully, the good news, the glory of it of this judgment day that awaits all of us, the Father, you would instill confidence in us, some hope, peace, and the knowledge of the truth of, of who we are in you and who you are to us now. So I look forward to what you're going to speak to us. May you, may you address those fears and insecurities that each and every one of us carries. In your name we pray, amen. Well, there's a number of passages in the scriptures that speak to, to Judgment Day. One famous one is, is Matthew 25, where, where Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats and how the sheep and goats will come and he's going to separate the, the two. He's got goats to the left and sheep to the right. And those goats are not the greatest of all times, like sports people like to argue about. They are the unbelievers. And the sheep are the believers, those who have placed their faith in Christ. And the, the reason that he separated the two is because each will face a judgment. Each will face judgment for what's happened in their life. Now, in, in Matthew 25, we have that passage, but it, it, it also matches really well with other passages, like in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul writes about Judgment Day, or the Apostle John writes about it in Revelation chapter 20. So we're going to look at that passage in verse 20, and we'll kind of see this, <clears throat> this parallel. But in Revelation 20, verse 14, it says, Then death and Hades, now Hades is hell, were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, we're going to notice some things here. First off, it's happening in Revelation 20. This is at the end. This is where uh, the, the tribulation's over, the, the thousand-year reign with Jesus is over. This is right before the new heavens and new earth are to come and the old is to pass away. That's when this judgment's going to take place. And he says, death in Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. And we saw last week about how, how death is the last uh, villain or the last enemy of God that will be abolished. But he's also going to throw hell into the lake of fire, along with Satan and all the other fallen angels that followed him. That, that's mentioned in verse 10. Now, we notice here that Satan is not in charge of, of the lake of fire, right? He, it's not his dominion. It's not his kingdom, as popular culture often makes it out to be. He is there being tortured. He is there being punished for what his rebellion and what, what happened there. And so he's thrown into that lake of fire, but so is hell itself. And so note, hell is not the final destination of those who don't believe. It's where they are right now if they've passed away, 
but they will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will be separated from God for eternity. And it says, it goes on talking about those who are not named in the book of life. They're going to be thrown there as well. So who are those people that are not named? They're the people who've rejected God's offer of salvation. Notice it's not because of any other sin. It's not because of, of what they did in their life at any point, how many times it happened. Someone is not in the book of life only because they've rejected God's gift of salvation. That's the only unforgivable sin. And that's important for us to, to know that. Let me, let me give you a powerful illustration of this. And it's with the story of the notorious murderer, Jeffrey Dahmer. He was sentenced to 971 years in prison. Not quite life, just 971 years. And he was there because of the, the, he murdered 17 men and boys and committed all kinds of other unspeakable crimes against them. And when he was finally arrested and tried, they, 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 they sent him to these 971 years. Well, while he was in prison, his dad began to send him books, books about why evolution is not an accurate description of what's really going on here. And, and, and Dahmer began to question evolution and began to wonder, well, if it's not evolution, then there must be a creator. There must be a God. And if there is a God and there is a creator, then I must be accountable to him. Well, this opened the door for him to discover who Jesus is and what Jesus had did on the cross for him. And so months before he died, he was murdered in prison. Months before that happened, he professed a faith in Jesus Christ and was baptized. And the, and the man, the pastor that baptized him, met with him weekly and, and would say that it was a true confession of faith, that there was authentic faith in Jeffrey Dahmer um, when he died, which means that now that he's passed, where is he? He's in heaven with Jesus, just like the thief that was beside Jesus on the cross. <clears throat> now that's incredible. So you got, you've got an example of that. Then on the other hand, you've got someone who's the average person who, you know, they've, they've lied. They've, they've probably gotten angry at times and, and some jealousy and, and outbursts of anger and, and lust. And, and uh, you, know, all, you know, they got some sins in their life. They did things they shouldn't have done, for sure, but, but nothing criminal, nothing coming close to Jeffrey Dahmer, but they've rejected Jesus' offer of salvation. They've said no to it. And so when this person passes, where are they? They're in hell awaiting judgment. Doesn't sound fair, does it? Doesn't seem right that someone who, who committed all these unspeakable, heinous acts gets to go to heaven, and this person doesn't. And, and the result is, if it was operating on a scale between Mother Teresa and, and Dahmer or Hitler, and it just had to be closer to Teresa than you were towards those other guys, then maybe, yeah, that would be how it would work. And it wouldn't be fair that Dahmer gets to go to heaven, but that's not the scale we operate on. We're not being compared to other people. We're being compared to God himself. And the requirement is perfection. And none of us measure up to that. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need a savior. We all need saving. We can't save ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. And so that's what Jesus has done. He, he sent, he, God sent Jesus to die on that cross to be the vessel to rescue us, to be the way that we could be prevented from going to hell. 
What that means then is, is because Jesus has made the way, and he's made it for who? For everyone. It's available for everyone, right? Second Peter talks about how Jesus doesn't want anybody to perish. That for God so loved the world. It wasn't a select group of people that God chose before the heavens and the earth were formed. And he says, OK, you're going to be saved, but you're on your own. No, he says, I want the whole world to come to me. But the reality is some don't. Some choose not to. In which case, in that moment, God's not damning them to hell. They're damning themselves. That's what they're choosing. And God is respecting that person's choice. But as I thought about that, I thought, this is why evangelism matters so much. Because what we want to do is we want to make sure that people are making an informed choice, that they're, they're smart and they're wise about what's going on and what's happening. So Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 14, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So he's asking this question, like, how are they going to receive Jesus if, if they don't believe in Jesus? They need to believe in him. Well, how will they believe in him whom they have not heard of? So if no one's talked to him or explained the gospel to him, how are they going to believe in him? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. So it's important for us to share our faith. And you might think, well, I'm, I'm no evangelist like Billy Graham. Well, of course not. You're not supposed to be. You're you. And, and you've got access to people, most importantly, the people in your own family and your own friend group and at work, the people that you have a relationship with. And, and you get to share your faith with them. You don't have to beat them over the head with a Bible. You don't have to, to you know, try to you know, share all these verses with them and tell them why they're horrible people and they need Jesus. But you can begin to share with them why your faith matters to you. You can share with them the difference it's made in your life. And then maybe one day they'll begin to be more curious and more open to that. And then you could offer them this wonderful gift of faith in Jesus. But it's important that we all share in that opportunity of sharing that life, sharing this message with people. And so maybe if you're, maybe you're sitting here and you're hearing this for the first time in a way that's never hit you before, and you're thinking, wow, this is, if, if, if Jesus could rescue someone like Dahmer, then Maybe he can rescue me too. And the answer is yes. And, and what you need to do is you need to send your money, send the check. No, that's not what you do, <laughs> right? You don't got to read your Bible. You don't have to sign up for a membership class. You don't have to, to, to you know, do anything other than from your heart say, Lord, I want you. It's that simple. Lord, I need you. And if you do that, it, the moment you do that, it says that there a party goes off in heaven, that a celebration erupts when one person turns their faith to Jesus Christ. How incredible is that? So that's, that's the judgment seat that, that awaits the unbeliever, right? This is what they call this great white throne judgment seat that, that they will be judged based on their faith, their lack of faith in Jesus Christ. But that doesn't apply to you and I, right? Because we're not goats. We've already placed our faith in Jesus Christ. That, that judgment doesn't apply to us, and yet it still speaks of judgment for you and I. There's another judgment that we face. And, and so in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, it says, for we, and the we here is us, specifically the believers, the, the, the church, we must all appear. 
And that word there, appear, isn't just sort of, you know, one day you're going to show up and, you know, you'll have a schedule and you'll be there and you'll be judged. No, you're going to be brought there. You're, you're made to appear. You're, it's more than even just summoned, this idea that you're going to be made to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that, and here's the purpose, that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So here, the judgment is about the deeds in the body. It's not a judicial judgment about your standing with Jesus. It's not one to see whether you get to go to heaven or hell or, or the lake of fire. That's not what this judgment's about. It's about what you've done while on earth. And that's important to understand because I think there's been a lot of misunderstandings around this idea. I grew up being taught that judgment day is going to be basically all of heaven's going to gather in a massive movie theater. And your life is going to be presented on a screen. Isn't this exciting? Right? And they're going to present your life. But, but no one wants to watch your whole life, right? Because there are times you're sleeping or in the bathroom. That's just creepy. So we're going to edit that part out, right? It's the edited version of your life, the Reader's Digest version, which is basically the highlights. But when we say highlights, we really mean lowlights, right? So basically, your entire sin is going to be projected on that movie theater for all of heaven and your mom to watch. <laughs> and so think about that the next time you want to tell a lie. And, and they've used that idea, that sense that, that you're going to be you know, guilty of and therefore condemned for your sins on this planet. But does that make sense with other parts of Scripture? See, whenever you're, whenever you're studying out the scripture, and this is why I think we get into so much trouble when scripture gets twisted, is that if you look at just one passage, one verse, and you make a conclusion off of that verse, you can come up with all kinds of different answers. What you need to do is you need to see, does that verse match up with other verses? More importantly, does this complex passage make sense with the simple passage over here? So if that movie theater made sense, then we got problems with other passages like Romans 8.1 that says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or in Jeremiah 31, and then quoted for us twice in the book of Hebrews, where God says, I will forgive your sins and I will remember your sins on judgment day. It's not what it says. It says, I'll remember your sins no more. So he's not trying to throw your sin back in your face to now, now get, you at, get you for it. That's not the point of Judgment Day. In fact, Judgment Day is actually something that you and I get to look forward to, that we can be excited about. Listen to what the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, verse 16. He says, we have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. Man, I could, I could preach for hours just on that one sentence right there. God loves you. Incredible. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. We have confidence in the day of judgment. Why? Because God loves you. And what he's done in making you righteous has spared you from that great white throne judgment, that scary judgment. Instead, what he wants to do is he wants to bestow his love on us over and over and over again. 
And I love how John put it here. Because as he is, not so you will be one day, but so also are you in this world. As righteous, as acceptable, as approved, as loved as Jesus is, so are you. It's a good word, isn't it? To know that you are a righteous saint today because of what Jesus has done. And so this judgment day, we get to look forward to. The question is, well, what is this judgment day for? What's it about? And to understand it, we have to understand a little bit more of, the, of, of what Paul was referring to here. It's translated judgment seat, but the Greek word here is bima. It's often referred to as the bima seat. And the bima seat in Roman times was a, a platform, much, much like this is a platform that I'm standing on. And, and a judge would often be sitting on this platform, and he would render his judgments. But one of the things that they would often judge would be Olympic events, so sports competitions. So maybe they had a 100-meter race, or maybe it was the, the javelin toss, or, or discus, or some other event. And then when they had to award the medals, they would approach the bema seat, and some governor or some judge or some important official would then render the judgment as to who won and what they won. And so really, the, the best picture of a, of a bema seat judgment would be the equivalent of what we see today when the Olympic medals are handed out. Right? The race is completed, and now the winners come and they stand on that platform, and these officials come and they award them with the gold, with the silver, with the bronze, with flowers and a wreath and sometimes a teddy bear. I don't know why. But they, they reward them with all these, these awards because of what's happened here. And that's, that's the judgment that you and I await, awaits us. It's a recompense. It's a, it's a payment or reward for the good and the bad. Now, we have to understand here the good and the bad and what Paul means by that, because he's not talking about morality. He's not talking about good in terms of righteous and bad in terms of immoral. Right? That's not what he's referring to. Instead, what he's referring to that which is valuable, that which has, has significance and worth, and that which is useless. That's what is no good. And he, and he gives a great picture of this day and what it's going to look like in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 12, Paul says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So he's, he's talking about there's this foundation. It's kind of like what Peter talked about, right? The, who, who's the rock of our foundation? It's Jesus Christ. And whatever you build on, whatever you do, you're kind of, you're putting something on that rock. You're putting something on that foundation. Is it gold? Is it, is it precious stones? Is it silver? Or is it wood? Is it hay? Is it stubble? Well, we don't know. You don't really know, especially maybe they just painted the wood and it looks kind of good. Or maybe the gold doesn't look as good as we thought. So we don't really know until it's tested. And so verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as yet so through fire. So we have here is you've got all this stuff you built on the foundation and a fire comes along and what happens to the wood, hay, and straw? It's gone. But the gold, the silver, the precious jewels, they remain. 
They survived the fire. And so that's what's happening. It's, it's what we've accomplished, our works that are being judged. And even in here, Paul makes the point, says, you know, you might have all kinds of straw and all kinds of wood, and there's a huge bonfire. I mean, people have to take a step back because it's so hot. But you are still saved, he says. Because this judgment isn't about that. This judgment is to test the quality of our work and, and what happens with it. And so the bad here is the stuff, the things that I do for God, but in my own strength. The things that I try to, to do, the things that I try to accomplish, but in my own power, that's the wood, hay, and straw. Because you see, there's only one person that can ultimately glorify God, and that's God himself. And, and so maybe, maybe I, I, I start a church. Maybe, maybe I go and I feed the poor. Feed the poor. Feed the hungry and, and house the poor. That's better. Don't feed the poor to the hungry, though. That's bad. That's, that's not good, right? So, so maybe I, I, you know, I, I share my faith with all kinds of people, but I do it all in my own strength. I do it all trusting in my own ability, thinking that that's one day going to make God pleased with me. And that's wood, hay, and stubble. It's burnt up and it's gone. So the, the judgment or the payment of all that's useless is really this. It's a loss. The, the things that I invested in, the things that I spent my life on, disappear. And I know a lot of people out there that have been investing in creating these great empires, these great systems and structures and, and wealth and power. And then one day they're just going to watch it go up in flames because it was all done in their own strength and their own power. And that useless stuff isn't going to stick around. And so what God wants to do, he wants to reward us for the good. He wants to reward us for what those things that Christ accomplished through us. Right? Remember what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Or he says in Colossians, I labor, yet not I, not by my own strength, but God's strength in me. That's the good stuff. That's the things that, that we want to we glorify. And he says in Romans that, may I never boast in anything except for what Christ has accomplished in me. So it's all about Jesus and what he's done through us. We'll have more on that in a moment. But I want you to see here, it's actually proper and right that God rewards us for those things. It's, 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 pro, it's proper because the reality is the choices have consequences, Right? Make bad choices, you get bad consequences. Make good choices, you get good consequences. Well, if the bad choice was to trust in yourself, you're going to get the bad consequence, which is it's just going to get burnt up and lost. It's going to be useless. But if you make a good choice, there's going to be good consequences. It's going to remain. It's going to stay. And God's going to reward you for it because it's the natural result of, what, of doing what's right. Now, here, here's where people start to get, get tripped up over. And they say, well... Well, but what if I'm chasing the reward? Is, is that okay? Well, if you're chasing the reward, I think you kind of missed the point. If you're chasing a reward, you're, you're really nothing more than a mercenary at that point. You know, you think about a mercenary. A mercenary is, is someone that you can hire, and they will do whatever you pay them to do without any kind of sense of what right or wrong. Right? So you might hire a mercenary, and they will fight for any country. It's just whoever pays the most. Right, So they got the reward in that sense of the money, but there's no honor in that. 
Or maybe you have, you have a general who, who got to that point because that's all he wanted. And he stepped over people and he used people in order to become that general. Well done. Good for you. You've lost it. But then you have other people who, because they made good choices and they cared for their, their soldiers and they made wise tactical moves, they get promoted and they become a general. That's right and that's proper. And so we're not mercenaries. We're not looking for the reward, but it's right that God will reward us. It's what he wants to do. And, and what helps us understand that is the motive. The motive behind it is what changes everything. Am I doing it for the reward or am I doing it because I love Jesus? And the, the beautiful thing is there's only one person that knows the motive. There's only one person that can judge that motive, and that's going to be Jesus Christ. So Paul writes in the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. Again, God's the one that knows. Is it wood, hay, and stubble, or is it gold, silver, and, Jew, and precious stones? God knows the motives. The motives of the heart is what determines it. Was I trusting in Jesus, or was I doing it for myself? And God will reveal it. Now, the question that people often ask, well, what's the reward? What is it we're going to receive? Is it, is it immortality? Is it, is it glory? Is it, is it ruling authority? As, as Luke uh, seems to lead on to believe that we're going to have this uh, authority over various cities. Or is it just simply retirement to a perfect Florida? Right? You know, there, there'll be no more bugs, no more weird storms and so forth. You can golf and play pickleball and suntan and, and, and that's just eternity, right? Is that the reward? Just this, this beautiful retirement. Well, I, I think some of all that is included, but I don't think that's the reward. In, in Genesis 15, verse 1, God's speaking to Abram. And, and there's some, some different versions of how to translate this, this verse in particular. But in, in verse 1, he talks about how that God says to Abram, I will be your shield and I will be your very great reward. You know, when I think about that, I, I don't know if there's a better reward out there than Jesus better than, than a nice Florida, better than authority, better than anything else. All I long for, what I crave, is Jesus and the opportunity to be with him and see him face to face. David, he, he summed it up. He captured it so well in, in Psalm 27, 4. I love this verse. He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord that I, I shall seek, that I will pursue, that I will endeavor towards, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. That's, that's David's heart. Just to sit and be with Jesus. To behold his beauty, to behold his glory, to behold his goodness. And again, I don't know of anything greater than that. And, and if, that, if that leaves you feeling wanting, if that doesn't quite get your engines revved up and get excited about that, then I would argue that your concept and understanding of God is flawed, deeply flawed. You don't see the glory that he has. You don't see the beauty that he is. You don't see the power and the wonder and the love that he has for us. 
And when you begin to see that love, that love will, will, will cause you and I to love him back. We love because he loved us first. And that, that will excitement where you'll realize, if all I get is time with Jesus, that's it. That's enough. Because there's no greater reward than Jesus himself. Amen? Well, there's, there's one more question I think we need to address in this passage. And it's back in verse 9. He says, therefore, we have as our ambition. Here's our goal, right? Here's what we seek. Whether at home we're absent, we've seen that's whether we're alive or whether we've passed on, right? Whether we're here in the body or we're here with Jesus. And that's to be pleasing to him. Well, the question then is, how, how do we please him? How do we live in a way that's pleasing to God? And, and the wrong answer at this point is that we, we begin to focus on behavior again. Well, make sure you're doing this. Make sure you're going to church. Make sure you're reading your Bible. Make sure you're praying. And, and make sure you're doing all this, because that's what's going to please him. Maybe. And maybe not. Again, we have to understand pleasing God isn't about you and your actions. It's about the motive of your heart. So in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. It all comes down to faith again. It all comes down to trust and reliance and dependence. Romans 14, 23 says, without faith, it's sin. Right? That, that trusting Jesus is the key. That's the, that's the issue there. And that's what it comes down to. So it's not about behavior or performance. So well, what does that mean about going to church today? Well, does that please him? Maybe. Maybe God asks you to go to church, and that's great, and you do, and you have a great time, and you, you fellowship, and you encourage one another, and you're encouraged, and you had a great time. Praise the Lord. Maybe Jesus says to you, you know what? Don't go to church today. In fact, I want you to go somewhere else instead. Why don't you go sit in a Tim Hortons uh, restaurant or or go go have breakfast with a friend that you haven't seen for a long time and do that on a Sunday morning. That's what I want you to do that that morning. God could ask you to do that. At which point, not going to church pleases God. We have to get beyond the behavior, beyond the performance part of it, and get to the heart of it as trusting Jesus and following him and doing what Jesus leads us to do and asks us to do. And it's those things that he's going to reward us for. Now, here's, again, what I just find so amazing. Going back to Matthew 25, right? The sheep and the goats. And the goats go to the left, sheep go to the right. And he, he says to the, to the sheep, he says, come whom my father has blessed. That word blessed could be translated as, as, as you know, the word eulogy. Right, the, 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 the idea that come who my father has spoken well of. And he wants to reward them. And he says, you know, because you fed me when I was hungry and you clothed me when I was naked and you gave me water when I was thirsty and you visited me when I was in prison, go and receive your reward. And I love the response. The response was, um, you got the right guy? Are you sh- are you sure sh- you want to look up that file? Cause I I don't remember any of that. I don't remember feeding you, clothing you, giving you water, and I certainly don't remember going to visit you in jail. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, if you've done any of those things, the least of them you've done unto me. It's the little things. 
Notice he didn't say, well, you perform these miracles and you preach these great sermons and you led 50, 50 people to Christ and you started this ministry and you did this and you did that. And it's not the big things that we often think of. Those are the things that God's going to praise me for. You know, I, I don't think that when, when I stand before him, God's going to say, well, let's talk about you, you started this church with a bunch of other people. I don't think that's what the praise and glory is going to come from. In fact, it's going to probably come from things that I even, didn't even think about. The things that I forgot. Remember when you smiled at that person at the checkout? Remember when you actually let the person cut in front of you? Remember when you asked someone how they were doing when they looked sad? Remember when you gave him a hug and you didn't say anything about it? It's those things that we don't even think about, that we were in that moment, we were trusting Jesus, and Jesus says, I see that, and I'm going to honor that. And so there will be a day where you and, you and I are standing before Jesus, and all of heaven's there, and he will, he will praise you for what you did in trusting him. And there will be a lot of things. I can't wait to see what, what Jesus says about Lisa. Be amazing. I just want to go before her, not after. <laughs> that's my only request, just before, not after. Right? I mean, that's, the, that's this idea that, that we got to look forward to. So it's a celebration. It's a graduation ceremony. It's not, a, it's not this, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Because the heart of your father isn't to condemn. It's not to beat you up. It's to love you. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious day that will be when we're standing in your presence, face to face, no longer with the, our enemy, the flesh, accusing us as it is doing today, questioning whether we're doing enough, whether we're measuring up, even questioning, are you sure that we're pleasing to you? And the reality is, You've already accepted us. We are already your good and faithful servants. But what we get to do now, Father, is we get to spend a life and spend this time on earth and this body in a way that is honoring to you, is pleasing to you. And there's nothing greater than to love other people. And, and you watching that happen, uh, I look forward to when, when we can look back on those moments and discover really what was going on kind of peel back the spiritual curtain and see your hand at work in each of our lives. What a glorious celebration it will be. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.